Welcome to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. With 60 years of living and breathing anthroposophy, Nancy Poor brings an amazing perspective on the sacred thresholds of birth and death, being warriors for our children, and being mindful of every human encounter. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to The Anthroposopher. That's the podcast for the Anthroposophical Society in America, and I feel really lucky because I'm sitting in your house right now, (laughs) and because your house is so close to my house, (laughs) so we get to have this conversation today, Um, and I thought we could just sort of talk about, like, just open with how did you get connected to anthroposophy? I know you have some family history, correct? Correct. Okay. So, thank you, Laura. Yeah, so it's delightful to be here with you, too. Oh, my. Um, I'm looking at got a lot of years, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say that anthroposophy has been just such a steadfast inspiration. It's complicated. Anthroposophy is very complicated, <laughs> And so it just requires, you know, a lot of dedication and a lot of reading and say, come on, Rudolf Steiner, (laughs) with these long German sentences. And yet, as you work with it over the years, you realize this incredible man was just giving so selflessly. Mm. And, And he deliberately took all the sort of his personal feeling element out of his work to leave us free and also to help us develop our will. Mm. So when you start working with the ideas of anthroposophy, the wisdom of the human being, that's a big mouthful right there, and most people say, oh, what is that? Yes. But of course, when we think that anthropology means study of the human being, and philosophy means wisdom, it's not such a big leap then, even though it's a big mouthful, yes. <laughs> so, so to speak. So, um, so that this, you know, the genius of Steiner with his incredible insight into human evolution, human development, uh, I've come to just appreciate and respect more and more over the years and has definitely informed my life and, and given me a stability. And I think you would find that with most people who take it up as a path. And I'll tell you how I first, I first came to it because I can't stand being put in a box. Mm. I can't stand people saying you have to do this or be this because you're associated with that. Do you know what Mm. I'm saying? Yeah. And the thing that really appealed to me about it was it was inclusive. Mm. That it embraced all world history. It embraced human evolution. It embraced evolution but in a with a spiritual view of it. Right. So it embraces science, it embraces literature, embraces human consciousness. It has a place for everybody regardless of their religion. Mm-hmm. That's the appeal. It had this this over this amazing big picture overview of human development and human evolution. So this was the appeal. Okay, this is something I can get interested in. I'm not going to have to join this one little group and follow their dogma kind of thing. Right. So it's not narrow. It's it's, it's not open narrow. and yeah, that's a yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
So that was the appeal. And, um, and then it was interesting because my mother, uh, Lola, was an anthroposophist and a very lively and delightful, energetic person who worked with young children and, and, uh, and uh, innovative things in the public uh, camping system. She, oh. she introduced many children to the stars and to mm -hmm. nature. And so we grew up with a wonderful, wonderful background as children with uh, lots of outdoor experiences. So I was very privileged. I, I grew up during the Depression, and I consider it one of the most privileged mm -hmm. childhoods because we didn't have to have all the things that our young families are coping with now. Yes. And, and uh, you know, we had, we had a roof over our head, and we had enough to eat, and we had all the outdoors, and we had an animal, and, and in our family we had enough for a music lesson and, you know, art and creativity. So we were profoundly, profoundly lucky. And uh, so then my mother eventually found her way to it. However, she was extremely enthusiastic. And when you're 16... <laughs> You don't particularly want to hear what your enthusiastic mother has to say. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> about life. You know, I mean, you want her there, right? Mm -hmm. You need her there. But you don't necessarily want, you're sort of forming your own view of life and don't necessarily want to take hers on. <laughs> so it was kind of like, okay, okay, mom, whatever. And then, uh, then I grew up and had my own children. And now, now it begins to click, because now I have, I eventually have six, three mm -hmm. sons, three daughters, identical twins, and so I have this big fa family, and I'm becoming a teacher, ultimately a Waldorf teacher for many, many years, as well as being a part of Rudolf Steiner College, which I was lucky to be part of the founders of that, and was there for 40 years. And so with these children then, I could take what Steiner gave us, this insight about the developing child, and I could look at it and I could say, that's, that's true, that's mm. happening. I can see it. This little child is, has this relationship to the world and now they're waking up and they're starting to say I and they're getting this, you know, so I could see this is true. Mm -hmm. This man has insight. He knows what he's talking about. Children have different temperaments. Uh, that's true. People have different temperaments. Okay, so then bit by bit, I could test out of my own life experience. This is true. Mm -hmm. I can test that. Now, he writes on some pretty exotic things. <laughs> <laughs> and on those things, I couldn't test these grand evolutionary things that happened in the right. universe, in these when Atlantis and Lemuria and all that. Yeah. So, so I just sort of said, well, he's right about this. That I could. Right. And so I'll give him credit. He's, he's probably right about that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so probably. That, yeah. <laughs> but so, who knows? So, and so, <laughs> so, so then I said, okay. Uh, I can go with this. Okay, so I know a lot of your work has been around birth <laughs> mm -hmm. and death. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk about those two things a little bit? Okay. Um, because, you know, they're both really hot topics right now. <laughs> no, no kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> They've been going on a long time. It's interesting they've risen to the top of the charts. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> 
just joking. Uh, yeah, but, but isn't, isn't it the truth, Laura, that people are in the midst of all the sort of insane materialism of our time and general craziness of, of the world and the cultural life that people start asking the questions, wait a minute, what am I here for? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what does this already mean? You know, what are these, you know, uh, we would call the sacred gateways of coming into earth life and leaving it. They're, they're extremely similar. Uh, having worked at both thresholds, I, I was lucky in my community to be at a number of home births. I never got them myself because it was a, a different time. They wouldn't, they weren't midwives. You didn't have a choice, and I always wanted to, um, hmm. to have that, and, and that sort of strengthened my resolve to help women having home births. And so I've been privileged to be at a number of births, which, of course, other than my own. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what a gift, what a gift. And it is truly, truly divinely attended, you know, even in, even in just difficult situations. There's just such a blessing that comes through, and you just long for the parents and the circumstances to not have it filled with so much chaos, you know, that, that 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 sense of being blessed by this amazing being. Rudolf Steiner says something interesting. He says that when in the old days when people would give, um, give you know, have an altar on the top of a mountain and make a sacrifice and have the incense and the smoke go up to the gods kind of thing as an offering to the gods, mm -hmm. he says when a baby's aboard, it's the gods offering to mankind, mm. and so that it really is. I I remember one birth that I assisted at, and and um, you know helping the midwife and getting the blankets, and but just looking the the newborn's eyes, regardless of their race, are violet. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a violet color, and you can just almost see through to eternity, mm -hmm. because the personality self is not there yet. And so they've just come from divine auspices, so to speak, and and unencumbered by earthly <laughs> uh, stuff, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then you watch how, you know, that's part of the incarnation, the child watching how they're coming in and becoming individuals. But at that point, they're pure vessels. Mm. And that you can feel the spiritual world just looking through these veils like you could go forever. Mm. And and I remember with this one child, I just wanted to fall on my knees. You know, oh, and just, wow. and, and of course, I couldn't because the placenta is coming. I got to get the baby's, babies you know, back, you know oh the blanket is warmed and what yes, have you. But, right. but this so feeling funny. of, oh my gosh. And, you know, I think any mother can tell you that hearing her babies cry, mm -hmm. having that baby put up on her chest, you know, of this miracle of this you know, wonder, the mystery of this child. Who is this and who will they be? And, and watching them also, they hear, hear uh, sound in the womb. Mm. So they can, I've, I've seen them also look, just strain to look towards their father Aww. because they've heard his voice <laughs> wow. before birth. And so that they'll, they'll look up like, is, is that mom? Is that mom? <laughs> you know, I'm outsider instead of inside. Mm -hmm. And then, then they'll strain to hear the dad, 
and uh, yeah, so so I mean, many many beautiful experiences of that. And then uh, actually, my mother's death was what led me into uh, a home death work. And I would say also that both my husband Gordon and myself, we always had this, uh, that we had always wanted our children to know death is a natural part of life. This is part of the cycle of life, and and it's not to be feared because it's simply part of the story. Mm -hmm. And so that was very strong in both of us. And uh, we were given, and I would say privilege, because not everybody has the opportunity or life circumstances, that we nursed our elders. <clears throat> and we nursed his grandmother and my father. And that was over a period of almost two years. And they were full-on bedridden. So it was, you know, they were paralyzed or they couldn't get up. So this was major care. Wow. And we took care of them in our home. And... Uh, I was very proud because nobody got a bed sore. So if anybody has ever done this kind of work, they know what that means. Wow. When you've taken care of people for that length of time that are bedridden. So of course our children were all part of that process and they loved their grandparents and they were part of our lives. And so my husband took time off work to take care of my dad. I took care of his grandmother. Uh, and so, in a way, looking back, we were modeling something for the community. And then when we wanted to have them at home for a vigil after they died, and we wanted to have them die at home with us, uh, which was the case. And so that the children would have that experience. And, uh, and it, you know, it was wonderful. And, and, and our children are all um, gifted craftspeople, so they made the caskets and beautiful caskets, and that was a labor of love. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something bizarre or, you know, weird to do. Uh, it was a little unusual to be a family like that in the neighborhood. <laughs> they, it's like, you know, Mom, we're not like everybody else on the block. <laughs> so, but um, but the, uh, consequently, all six of our children have been able to, and, and grandchildren, I would say, have been able to go out into the world and to be there with real practical presence when a death occurs. They, they know what to do. They know who to call, what's going to come down, what needs to happen. They can make a casket if they need to, mm. many of them. So, so they have been, because they grew up that this is not to be feared, it is part of the cycle of life. It doesn't mean you don't go through great loss and great sorrow and all of that. That's, but nonetheless, this is this is part of it. Yeah, that's so. incredible. I mean, I feel like we so are so far from that in the in the mainstream culture. Um, you know, we don't we don't connect with it. We're just trying to um, avoid, avoid it. it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I saw this smile on your face, like this this like gentle smile and this twinkle in your eyes when you're like that they they got to die at home and your children were there I mean I, I don't experience that for most people but it is it is such a gift I can imagine having grown up like that what a difference that would have made in my own like anxiety you know just in life in general um 
You know, and we, we heard this psychologist say the other day that this, this work, this end of life work is, it's not just for those who, who are dying, uh-huh. it's for the living. So they don't have these yeah. mental health issues yeah. related to death anxiety and health anxiety and all these things. Yeah. If they only knew, Laura, if they only knew that, that the death is a gift you see, they, they'll commonly say, oh, I don't want to see them now because they don't look healthy like I remember them, and I just want to remember them like they were when they were in their prime. You know, all understandable. But people who are dying can go through incredible transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like with somebody with cancer. Yes, they're, they're, they're losing weight or their skin is getting, but they're getting translucent, and they're becoming, many of them, more transparent to the spirit. And if they're doing their inner work, you can see this beautiful, it's like a candle flame just flaming up beautifully as the candle's burning down. And they have gifts to give. And we often say our parents' death is their last gift to us. Now that's hard to encompass, but it it absolutely can be. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who've been threshold workers for a long time, why uh, we know that there's just amazing sacred things that can happen in those last three days before somebody dies or even the last hours before someone dies. There can be, if, if there's, if reverence and, and honoring and respect that this is a spiritual birth. They're going back home, they're leaving their body, and as I say, uh, when you come this way, your mother births you. She does all the work yes. <laughs> to get you on the planet. And it was very sweet to have one of my children the other day said, thank you for getting me here. <laughs> you know, to say, well, yes, honey. It, was a, it wasn't all that easy. You know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, of course, that's the, then the blessing of having the child. But the other way, you birth yourself. Hmm. So, again, this attitude, if you can take this attitude to the threshold, and, and of course, at first, we're put off by the breathing or the, you know, the tubes or the emaciated body. But we're being asked to see through that. How can we see through to sense the spirit? The spirit is going home. The spirit is being born. So if we can bring that same supportive awe and energy that you do with a woman who's having a baby. When you're with a woman who's having a baby, you're saying, come on, you can do it. This can happen. Yes, it's going to be beautiful. And you bring this supportive energy instead of this, oh my gosh, tension. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And then, then the person can be you don't have to say anything, and often you're in a group with people with vastly different reactions to what's going on, mm-hmm. and you don't want to impose or, you know, upset them, so you might be quiet, but you can bring that energy, and it, and it, then, then this person says, oh, yes, I will make this, I will make this, and, and when you're with that death, when it's like, wow. And the whole room is just filled with the spirit that's just escaped. Right. <laughs> escaped this poor old body that doesn't work anymore. Right. In, my, in many cases. Of course, there's obviously all the sudden tragic deaths or accidents mm-hmm. and all those things, each with its own own uh, 
circumstances. But we're being, when, when, with cancer being such a part of the illness of the time, then we have time, there's time involved on everybody's part to look at this and to go through it. And for the person to make some transformations who's dying, and, and there's many who give many beautiful gifts back to the world, as well as those around them. So if we face death, I think this applies to everybody, regardless of what your calling is, whether you're doing threshold work or not, um, it, you need to face death in our time. Otherwise, it hangs over you like a sword, like, you know, it's informing your reactions and reactions. And then here's where anthroposophy comes in. Because anthropos we don't die. Hello. We don't die. Our body dies. Spirit does not die. Mm -hmm. Indigenous people will tell you that. That's not just anthroposophy. That's been long been a spiritual view of human, human that we have a spirit and we have a mortal body. But in today's materialism, it's so hard for people to believe it. Right. <laughs> and yes. live it. Yeah. And so then as we go through not only fears of our own mortality, uh, but also our family or our children. Mm -hmm. I've had one of my children die. That's, that's as hard as it is, mm -hmm. can, it can be. But we live. And then, then anthroposophy helps you in this staying connected. Very practical, real ways. How can I be looking for the uh, inspiration from my loved one across the threshold? That's what's keeping me going at my age, honey. Mm. Is is that I am got a whole team up there because <laughs> I've been around a long time, so now I have teams of people, and when I do my work, you know, I say, okay, you guys, we're talking about this one today, <laughs> but that this this loving remembrance, this gratitude for having had that person in your life, even if it was a short time. Even with all the painful, you know, regrets and sorrow of not having them here on the physical plane anymore, they didn't die. Right. Their spirit lives. And if we can take that as being real, this will give you strength. It gives me strength. No matter how bad it gets, we will go on. Hmm. And we will go on. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we will go on. So this is where this, the, the matrix of this spiritual view of the human being is strength for life. Yeah. It's strength for life because it gives you, you know, history, where we came from, and now where we are today with our consciousness, which is very materialistic, but... That was the stage we needed to go through. We all needed to become self-conscious, and we need to become self-aware. Uh, some some of us have taken it to extremes. Yes. <laughs> you <know? laughs> of, uh, you know, me, my, and mind, and everything around me. But it's a necessary stage of individuality for human beings to be in now, 
so that they can make conscious choice mm -hmm. about how they're going to live their lives, what they're going to, where they're going to give their attention and intention. Mm -hmm. That's the most precious thing we've got. Where are we going to give it away? Right. That makes sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, because, okay, so so you've been at it, we, we sort of calculated for around 60 years, <laughs> connected with anthroposophy, which is incredible. I'm like, wow, I'm almost at 10 years now, you know, feeling real proud of myself. Um, but... But, you know, so you're, you're talking about this attention and intention, and I feel, and, you know, the material world, and I feel like our attention is pulled in so many different directions now. And I'm thinking, you know, 60 years ago, like, how have you seen things change? Mm -hmm. Where do you, where do we need to go? What, what, mm -hmm. you know, so... Well, of course, obviously, things have changed greatly, and it's so much harder to raise children now, because you don't, in, in the old times, you had the major influence in their life was their family, or your values. Now, media is going to sweep in and take over. And so, so the, the parents are, you know, they just almost have to be warriors to help. Warriors. Warriors, really. Mm -hmm. Warriors for their children to create space for the kind of life and values they want to live. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so hard because we live in this highly technological age. It's part of, I'm on the internet. I use Facebook. I do all of that stuff, too. So I know how, how uh, seductive it is, how compelling it is, how time-consuming it is. Uh, but I feel I need to be part of that. I'm here now and, and teaching, and so I can't be a Luddite. Right. You know, and I need to know what other people are experiencing. So again, this sort of self-discipline to say what we're doing, even if we've got this little technological device, device yes. recording what we're saying, you and I are looking in each other's eyes and we're having a conversation, Lauren. Right. And that is, that's human. Mm -hmm. So hanging on, making precious every human moment you have mm. face to face mm. and knowing that that's, and these children are going to grow up zip. They are going to be gone before you know it. Mm -hmm. And especially those precious childhood years, so uh, early childhood. So whenever the families can get the support or just take that deep breath and say, this piece of life is really important for me and important for, or the elders, the other time at the end, there's granny in the nursing home. Right. You, what a service you can do to go to listen to her story. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the most loving, beautiful things, because at the end of life, the person needs to digest their life, and they need an interested party there to hear it, yeah. even if they keep repeating it a few times, <laughs> which they might. <laughs> but uh, at the end of life, you'll have strong memories of the first of your life. Mm -hmm. You may have a very poor short-term memory, but you will have strong memories of your childhood. So here's a precious chance to learn something about your your relatives, yeah, and and their journey, which 
probably impacted your journey. Yeah, for sure. And and that uh, and that will be of service to them. Mm. So I would say mindfulness of the human encounter in your life, mm -hmm. regardless of where it is. Mindfulness of nature, the gifts of nature, and, and the beauty, because the beauty helps strengthen our spiritual forces. It, help, it mm -hmm. helps quicken us. It helps us awaken to what's important. So you can have some consciousness, what am I surrounding myself with? Hmm. And, and in, in a death and dying work, uh, both Heidi and I and Linda, it, this has to be beautiful. This is the last act. This is the last show. I want this to be as beautiful as I can make it. So I go in there and sweep away all the electronic equipment and all the cords, umbilical cords from all the, from all the, <laughs> all the technology. The devices, yes. Covered up, out of here, flowers, candles. Beauty. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's this, this gesture of, of valuing the aesthetic, valuing the, the gifts that we are showered with. But our technical world is so compelling, it says, forget that, do it all in cyberspace. Right. And so that takes consciousness and it takes self-discipline. It takes valuing. I'm in the moment. I'm with my friend. I'm in the moment. I'm with my child. I'm in the moment. I'm with my partner. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and so then if we're in the flow, any, any athlete will tell you this. Mm -hmm. You need to be in the flow. And there's a big flow to life. There's a big flow when you feel like, okay, it's working. And if basically you have this matrix of your spiritual beliefs, and believe me, I would say on this, honey, if you haven't got a spiritual path, you better find one. Right. <laughs> because right. I'm sorry for you in, in this oh, it's culture truth. today. How can, can you be, survive? It can be whatever you want to do, right. whatever calls to you. But right. find one because you've got to have something that's eternal and steadying and shines in on this daily, you know, trauma <laughs> and yeah. craziness of life today. Yep. So that stay, whether it's your meditation practice or whether you get up an hour early or, you nature. know, have your walk in nature, yeah. you know, all, and all those things will give your connection with loved ones. It will give you vitality. Mm -hmm. and, and after a certain age, you have to draw your vitality from somewhere else other than your youthful, little, gorgeous Right. <laughs> started with. Right, that's starting to fail. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to keep going, you would have to have other sources. Now, now, uh, huh. Some people can Botox, you know, <laughs> which, which I call premature embalming. <laughs> yes, oh my gosh. Oh boy. <laughs> you know, and, and so obviously that's important for some people to do that. But yeah. nonetheless, it's, you're, 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 not, you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep the spirit rich, keep the spirit alive, keep the soul nourished. Mm -hmm. and, and all of these things I'm talking about will do that. And reading anthroposophy will mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it will, reading, it's nourishment. 
once you get over those, I'd say, gigantic German sentences that go on for an entire paragraph, uh-huh. and say, get to the point, please, relax, Get to the point. <laughs> but he does, and of course he's wise because, again, that, that strengthens our will and, and uh, gives us gives us sustenance. Mm-hmm. So any spiritual path will give you sustenance, you know, if you're Hindu, Buddhist, whatever it is. Reading, spiritual literature, eternal um, uh, poetry, and yeah. so forth. The, these these are sustenance, great prayers. Yes. Out of all things of devotion, yeah. beautiful art. All of these things will help connect you to the spiritual world from whence we came and when, where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> Ready or not. Ready or not. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I guess that's, yeah. That's great. Is that? I think that's great. Is there anything else you, you wanted to share with us before you? Oh. I mean, that that's like, you just gave us like a antidote to the craziness of modern life right there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, yes, I think I would... Um, I always love to share with young people, particularly today, because so many are dismayed and discouraged. And and but being in a physical body is is a gift, because we can't do this on the other side. When we're in this spiritual world, we don't have a body, mm-hmm. so we can, you know, look at things. We can see a big picture. We can see, oh my gosh, there they go. <laughs> How can I inspire? my daughter or whatever to this or that uh, and they do the dead work with us so some the so-called dead are mm-hmm. working to to loving us from the spirit world but they can't do anything they can't change it they don't have arms they don't have hands mm-hmm. they cannot uh, think the thoughts and put into action things that can change only we can do that here mm-hmm. and that has to do with freedom so we want we want choice and we want freedom and that's why we're here mm-hmm. how do we get wise and you know <laughs> we get taught by life whether we whether we decide that we signed up or not we'll be taught but we're learning and then then and then if we're true to ourselves emerson says you know Trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. It means trust your spiritual self and trust this connection to the spiritual world. And then that will give you strength to help you become who you are and what you bring. Mm. Everyone has a mission. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has something to offer. And so I would hope that those that are look around and just are so dismayed and discouraged like we signed up for this Mm -hmm. this is our time yes this is our time and it's one of the most intense times in human history but we signed up for it we wanted to be here Mm -hmm. and if we take that we wanted part of me would like to be 30 years younger you know (laughs) but i dressed up like a salmon and went down to the capital uh-huh. you know to protest <laughs> gmo salmon right you know if an old lady can do that why yes. anybody can do that that's right so we're part of this world we can be be a voice in this world we can and we can always make connections and we and here we can change something 
We can help change a relationship. We can help make something better for someone else. We can take care of Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. All the opportunities every day that are truly in our hands. Yes. So, and the purpose of then this whole big story is to bring this dear old planet through from ancient wisdom that all the indigenous people had to a planet of love. Mm. And we have the choice about how we're going to participate in that. Thanks for joining us today on The Anthroposopher. Stay tuned for our next episode.